it's the same concept as if with anything in life, where if you fail, you get up and you try again. Hello, welcome to Heart Inspired, a show dedicated to highlighting individuals in their pursuit of authentic leadership, peeling back the layers to uncover the roadblocks they face, explore some of the actions they take, and what keeps them on track to continue their journey to be the best version of themselves. It is my hope that you will be inspired by their stories and gain some insights to help you in your own journey. I'm your host, Michelle Delgado. In this series, we are going to uncover some important areas that impact our lives, both professionally and personally. At some time or another, we may be impacted by imposter syndrome. So how do we recover? Who can help us? How do we support others who may be impacted? Let's explore. Today's guest, Ash Shabra, has been a longtime travel industry veteran and host of his own podcast, Business Travel 360, as well as a three million miler. Hi, Ash. Welcome to my podcast. This is my first one that I'm doing, so I'm excited that you are here to join me in this in-depth conversation as we talk about imposter syndrome, uh, throwing people a lifeline or receiving one, as well as mentorship. So, Ash, can you tell us a little bit about what a three million miler is? Yeah. Um, thank you, Michelle. First of all, I am really happy that you asked me to be part of this podcast. So, thank you very much for that. You're Secondly, welcome. I'm also super happy to hear that I'm the first one you're interviewing. So that's even cooler. Yeah. Uh, so super excited about that and wish uh, this a lot of success. Uh, as far as the 3 million miler uh, thing is concerned, you know, it's one of those things that the, the, that travelers use to measure how important they are uh, to an airline or the travel industry as a, whole, as a whole. And it's also a great way to feel important. So that's how I'm going to describe it. But essentially what it means is that you've been on the plane too long, <laughs> and uh, you probably shouldn't be on the plane that long, but um, it's the ability to measure, uh, you know, how many miles you were in the air, uh, essentially. Awesome. I think it's probably well above that, but, you know, I wasn't measuring it since the beginning of my life. So it's something I started doing once I started to realize that it was actually a thing that airlines appreciated and valued. Wow. And during the pandemic, it certainly had to take a little bit of a pause, but you probably still kept your three million miler accolades. Ah. Yeah. 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 Um, it's definitely so it's a lifetime uh, relationship that you have oh, um, with the airline industry. So it doesn't um, you know, have an end date. Um, you just keep as long as you keep being loyal, you keep accumulating uh, the miles and the status keeps growing. Great. All right. So we're going to jump in with the first question. So imposter syndrome, what does that look like for you, Ash? This is something that I have a little bit of a hard time talking about because I really question what it means and what the whole purpose of this idea is, imposter syndrome. So my simple understanding of it is that when you or somebody tries to pretend to be something that they're not or is in an environment where somebody is behaving in a way that may not be fitting for what they're what they're saying they are or they're trying to be, I mean, imposter, um, I guess, is, is, is key there. And syndrome means that you're doing it often. So... <laughs> So good point. But actually, imposter syndrome is, uh, as someone once said to me, if you don't suffer from imposter syndrome, you're probably narcissistic. So imposter syndrome is feeling like you are not as good as you can be or you are. So, you know, you're not, you can't, you don't know how, I'm not good enough, all those kinds of conversations. So now when I ask you that question, what does that look like for you? Oh, 
I will start. I will answer that question in a, in a different way uh, now okay. that you explained it, because you know I've uh, I'm a little bit old school and I have an old school belief um, in the workplace and and I believe in structure. I believe in hierarchy and all those kind of things. And I always believed that one should have the job or a title that they have already been working on and they've already accomplished that goal. So, for example, if you want to be director of something, start doing the job of a director. If you, um, you know, don't wait until you get the title to do the job, you do the job first and then the title comes later. So to me, um, if you focus on your work ethic and you focus on your career in that way, I don't think you ever struggle from an imposter syndrome situation. Very interesting. To so, say that I'm uh, that, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to be narcissistic when I say that. I just feel like if you do it in, a, in the right way, then it won't be something that creeps up on you. Have you ever had been given a task, whether it be at work or in your own you know, in your podcast where you feel you have a fear of, I don't know if I'm going to succeed at this, or it's not going to be up to my standards on what I'm expecting of myself. Yeah, definitely. I think that anytime you start anything new, you have that feeling. So, you know, when I started doing my first podcast, I had never done a podcast before. I didn't even know what sound equipment looked like, what you needed, Um, but I did it. And um, it was just one of those things that you work towards, I guess. Um, Was I an imposter in the world of podcasters? Probably, uh, because he was this guy trying to pretend that he's something that he's not, you know, and it started off with two listeners or three listeners, right? Um, So you kind of grow your, your, uh, your listenership a little bit, but sure. I think, yeah, now, now that I understand it that way, um, I guess I was an imposter in the world of podcasting. So you first recognized it in when you were doing your podcast and you probably will now think further back on other positions you've held or things that you've done, you know, goals, there's always those steps towards your goals and those roadblocks that may come along. And how do you get past that? So in your podcasting, what did you do to recover or, you know, push through? Educate myself, listen to a whole bunch of other podcasters that were doing (laughs) it for much longer than me and and replicate. Who was your favorite? I want to say it was probably a bunch of them. Um, I remember uh, listening to... um, to a couple of people um, that I had met at a conference actually um, one time. And, you know, you know, prior to 2020, it, you know, when people use the term podcasting, um, it, it was just like one of those weird things that people said, you know, kind of like, I guess, before we all knew Facebook and someone said, oh, I'm on Facebook. And we're like, what the heck is that? Right. So to me, podcasting came across as that way. And I really never thought that I would be doing a podcast ever in my life. Um, so when I first started doing it, I was like, you know, my first listeners, I think my first people I listened to were just people I went to, I was at a conference and someone would say podcast and I would say, that's weird. Why would they be on a podcast? Right. That was my reaction. Uh, but then once I decided I wanted to do podcasting, now I looked up the same speakers and I'm listening to them on their podcast. Right. So, yeah. um, so there's a guy named John Gucci. Um, he's got an amazing podcast. Um, he used to be a, uh, blue angels, uh, fighter jet pilot. I met him at a Sabre conference. Um, and I got to meet him and, you know, shake hands and took a nice photo with him. Um, so he's actually somebody I listen to and he's all about, you know, perfection and, and, and doing everything right and, and, you know, being in sync with everybody. And I've actually learned quite a bit of stuff from him that I brought back into my business life at my jobs and utilized his techniques. He's somebody that I recommend if you haven't listened to uh, John Gucci, um, he's definitely somebody you should listen to. I will certainly make note of that. Thank you. Always learning, right? Now that you have understood and and where imposter syndrome shows up for you, what things can you think of that you did other than learning and listening 
to bounce back from that. I'm not good enough, or I really don't know how, or the fear, whatever it was, that feeling. Uh, I think for me, it's always been, it's the same concept as if with anything in life, uh, where if you fail, you get up and you try again and you just do that. So, you know, if you, you know, to me, yes, in the beginning, you might be perceived as an imposter. Maybe you, you don't belong. Um, but if you fail and then you walk away, then maybe you really were the imposter, but if you stick with it, right. And you keep doing it, you fall, you get up, you fall, you get up and who cares how many times you fall, you get up one more time. If you have that mentality, then I think you can build it into where, you know, you don't feel like an imposter after a while because you you have time and you have success. Great. So failure is definitely the opportunity for the lesson learned to push through and yeah. succeed, right? Yeah, 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 I agree. Great. All right, let's move on to the next question. So have you ever received a lifeline from somebody? Someone threw you support or something that would help you get through whatever you needed to get through? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, in life, you probably want to surround yourself with a lot of those people. Um, yep. So you can recover faster. Talking back to that fall down, get up one more time scenario, right? You Sometimes you need lifelines to help you through that process. Sometimes you meet lifelines who just don't really intend to be your lifeline, but maybe uh, do something um, in a in an environment uh, that you're in and, you know, set your career up for a trajectory that you never expected to, right? So mm-hmm. I think that kind of leads into a the topic of mentorship, uh, which we might be talking about a little bit later, but um, I think mentors can be a great lifeline uh, yeah. giver, right? I think that they kind of fall into that um, as, as a trait that they have. Have you asked somebody to give you a lifeline or be a mentor or has it come to you? It has come to me more than I've asked. The way I understand that scenario is that you know, if you surround yourself with people who who don't really, you know, may not look at you as a threat, maybe they just look at you as somebody that they want to help and, and they get a kick out of seeing your success, right? I think a mentor has to have those uh, concepts in their minds. But, you know, for me, it's never, you know, I my first, my biggest mentor is, is somebody that I went to work for in my first job. I was lucky enough to meet this person. I still stay in touch with this person. Uh, what is it? Almost 30 years later. So to me, those people throw you strange lifelines. This person actually did something that changed the trajectory of my career, I would say, without it being something that they considered was directly linked to me. So that's yeah. great. You're fortunate to have that. And so yeah. tell me about a lifeline that you've thrown to somebody. What does that look like? In my professional career, I would say that I actually love throwing out lifelines of of every kind. You know, some of them could be classified as helping somebody grow and believing that they will grow into that into that role that you have perceived them to have. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think that people are struggling, mm-hmm. so you you find a person that's struggling and you you know, correct their struggles or help them correct their struggles, whichever scenario plays out. And I think believing in a person is key to achieving success. You know, they always say that leadership always looks at people for what they can be, not what they are, and presents them opportunities to be that person. So I think presenting an opportunity is a lifeline of some sort, right? Yeah. Um, so I've I've actually I've actually been able to do that quite well. I love doing it, actually. It makes me so happy when I do those things because it makes me feel much better about myself, uh, which is kind of strange to say, but it's actually true. It's, It's great to see people be successful. And I think that the more success you can surround yourself with, the more opportunities you can have to help people become successful, you find yourself putting out more lifelines as a result of that. Yeah. Reciprocity is huge, right? 
it helps both parties. Have you ever been given a lifeline or given a lifeline where it's not been well received or with good intent? Before the pandemic, I had made a decision at the company I worked for at that time that we were going to virtualize the entire organization. Um, mm-hmm. And so I went down this road of virtualizing about 100 people. Um, and when you virtualize people, you know, you found that, you know, one third of them were super excited about it. Um, you know, working from home was a great concept. The other one third was 50-50 and one third was totally not happy about the idea of working from home. So why did we do that? Or why did I decide to do that was because I felt that having a good work-life balance was important. And here in New York and major major metropolitan areas, commute time is a major issue for travel, for employees, for sure. right? So when yeah. you have people commuting from Long Island to Jersey City, uh, two-hour commute one way, four hours round trip, you know, that adds up pretty fast, right? And so the idea here was to make people's work-life balance better as a way to create more success with those individuals and to make them more productive. So all of the stuff was theoretical. It, it was all sounding, sounds great. But I, I would say that one third of the people were really upset about working from home. They didn't like it. I think that they looked at that lifeline possibly as a negative. In my mind, I was thinking that they would be happy about it and they would want to spend more time with their family and be home for dinner and all those kind of good things that we all want in life. Um, But this was all pre-pandemic, right? So I think some of those values that we have today did not exist in that level before. Um, So we saw a lot of people being negative about it um, and maybe not really excited. Have you thought about when you're giving a lifeline or receiving a lifeline the experience that has happened on either, whether it's been better, worse, different by the gender who has either given or received the lifeline? I haven't really looked at it from that perspective. I think that one of the things that happens in the industry that we're in, the travel industry, is that the majority of the people that are are in the industry are females, Mm-hmm. Right, so you encounter a lot more of them from a numbers perspective. Yeah, um, that might skew your mindset into thinking, "Oh, well, you know, women expect this and this and this, or they have this and this thought." But then you start to think about it: it's the entire company, but it's not really the entire company; it's just a subset. So you have to kind of identify that. But I wouldn't say that I've found that one gender looks at it. If anything, I think guys probably struggle with it more because they don't want another guy to help them right so you know oh. it's, it's it's a male it's a male thing right where yeah. i'm a guy i can take care of myself i don't need you to help me take care of me yeah um, so if anything the guys are probably more difficult and so on that same note if there was a male and or a female who needed a lifeline would you feel differently about helping either one yeah, if i had one lifeline to give and it was a male or female i'll probably give it to the female yeah and and I think that is a gender thing there, yeah. a natural instinct. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. Well, is that, um, is that good or bad? I don't. I don't know if that's no, good. No, I don't know that it's good or bad. I just think it is. We know that children need our help. We knew. We know that elders immediately need our help. But those who are of same age group, if you will, or gender, oh, you know, you got, you've got it. You, you can cover for yourself. But uh, we tend to naturally gravitate to those who are in need more or yeah. that we feel are less, uh, have less strength, maybe. Interesting concept. Yeah, that is an interesting concept. So um, you were mentioning that, you know, mentorship can be both professional and personal. Do you have more than one mentor today in professionally? I do. Um, 
I think one of the things about mentorship is that you can have a mentor without it being like, Hey, I'm your mentor. You know, it doesn't have to be declared um, right. like that and openly. And I think that mo- some of the best mentorships are those that both parties recognize, but neither party have addressed it as a mentor. And so why do you think that is? <laughs> I think maybe there's a lot of expectations built around it. People feel like, oh, if I'm a mentor, I have to worry about everything. And, you know, there's a lot of that kind of going on. So some ways um, it's better not to say it out loud. Interesting. Have an innocent mentorship relationship. <laughs> I have a mentor. I have a couple of mentors and both of them I have declared mentors. Mm-hmm. And so the, the expectation is just such, you know, as I as we need to bounce things off and provide insight. So, but no one's ever declared me as a mentor. And I think that I do mentor quite a few people. I just, no one has ever said, you know, your mentorship or I, you are my mentor. So that's interesting. So how um, do you feel when somebody says that to you? Like, would you be like, oh, uh, I have so much to do now? Or no, how would you view it if somebody's declared I, it out loud? I like feel that? like it's an, it's an honor that somebody values your input and your yeah. insight to help them cheer them along. I feel yeah. like mentor, you know, being a business coach myself and, and a professional coach, I feel that mentorship in a way is interchangeable with being a coach. So you're not really always providing answers. You're providing support for them to find answers for themselves. So yeah. to me, it's not more work. It's it's an obligation to some degree because there should be some accountability. I feel that as a mentor, if you are mentoring somebody and you're providing, you know, you can slip from consulting to coaching, you provide some insight or suggestions as to what they do and they don't follow through and they come back with you, come back to you with the same situation. I think it's time to have that conversation as to what is it you really need from me? How can I help you? You know, how can I support you? That that's kind of um, why I feel that it should be defined in some way. It reminds me of when you, when you when we were in high school or junior high, and you know, it's like you were dating a girl, and you know, you start to see her more and more from the beginning, and then all of a sudden you have to declare we're boyfriend and girlfriend, and then the awkward <laughs> period comes. Where 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 her? She has to wear your jacket and your ring around her neck because it's too big. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, all the expectations set, and you know, it's better just to be you know, being seen together all the time and, you know, not have to declare. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. See, I think there's a little lack of commitment there, Ash. <laughs> oh, I knew you were going to go there. I knew you were going to go to the commitment. Commit word. to the process. <laughs> so yeah. in your mentorship that you received or provided for others, do you gravitate towards one gender over the other? No. I think it needs to, you know, I mean, obviously it should be, you know, unless you're talking about gender related issues, right. Um, mm-hmm. Then it's one thing, but I don't think it needs to cross that line. I don't think it really matters. Do you think that it matters to others? Possibly it could matter to others. To be a mentor means that somebody is looking for improvement or they're looking to, uh, to be helped in some sort of way. Right. I mean, if you're not looking for that, then you won't need a mentor. So, you know, it comes from a need and a need should not be, you know, if somebody comes to you professionally and has a need to improve themselves, then what does it matter what gender they are as long That's as correct. you're providing the solution? So, yep. 
or helping them or giving them guidance, right? So it shouldn't matter either way. I think that when you start to develop, uh, you know, know, gender-related mentorship, uh, and again, you know, I'm sure there's a place for that, but I think that in the workplace, you want to stay away from that kind of stuff. And I think that it shouldn't matter. Yeah, I agree. So before I go to the last two things that I wanted to talk to you about, I want to go back to imposter syndrome, and I just want to ask you a question specifically with gender, because there has been studies that show that women tend to suffer from imposter syndrome more than men. Given the fact that when we first started this conversation, you you were kind of in a quandary about what it was, uh, do you believe that men or women suffer from imposter syndrome one more than the other? I've probably read some of those articles and those studies. Um, so my answer is that uh, women, uh, you know, you, you're right that, you know, women probably feel that they are struggling with it more. But I think men also struggle with it. They just can't say it. So uh-huh. if you're a man and you and you are struggling with that, you can't go around saying, hey, uh, you know, boss or friend, um, you know, can you help me with this? I'm struggling with with, with imposter syndrome, right? I don't yeah. feel like I belong or whatever those scenarios may be. And I, and, and I think for guys, they have to be more masculine. Uh, so part of that means that you don't talk about your feelings or you don't talk about these issues more. So I think guys probably struggle with it, maybe even as much as women, uh, but they just don't verbalize it as 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 easily or as often. So therefore, they deal with it themselves uh, quietly behind you know um, a curtain and, and figure it out. Very interesting. Yeah, see, and we, we often think that, you know, we suffer from it more, but I think it's, you're right, we, we vocalize our feelings, we talk a lot more about our feelings. Interesting. Yeah. In the workplace, you know, when if a guy behaves that way, the other folks that are also men um, in that in that situation will probably look at that guy and say, "Hey, you know, this guy doesn't have what it takes, right?" Because you know, the workplace is a place where you need to perform at the highest levels, and all those expectations are there. So guys tend to probably struggle with it quietly um, a lot more because you're you're not expected to have those kind of thoughts. That's very interesting. So do you think that in today's world, in today's corporate America world, that men have started to crack that a little bit and go, hey, you know, I'm so glad you spoke up because I'm feeling the same way. I mean, I think that there's a lot more men collaboration in those settings that maybe we don't know about. No, totally. And I think that the conversation of mental health um, that's been in the in the you know media quite a bit over the last uh, 18 months or so more than ever before i think that that has definitely helped guys because now guys can point at that at that word mental health and say hey i need to help my struggles or i need to figure out how to deal with yeah. this and so i think it definitely helped that situation quite a bit but i you know I, I think guys have a long way to go and i think it just comes from their dna and their gender structure that they have to deal with it differently and so that will continue to happen um, but with that being said right i think that women also uh, struggle from that quite a bit and for different reasons i think that women probably struggle from it because they're you know for them to grow in an organization in the travel industry i'll use that as an example since that's the industry i'm in uh that you know they feel like they have to do a lot more um, and they have to perform at a much higher level than their male counterparts, which is totally unfair. Um, So therefore that feeling exists even more so uh, than, than for a guy in that same situation. Great insight. Love that. I'm going to ask you your last two questions here. Being an ally, what does that mean for you? Someone who is going to be there with you, um, 
with a common goal and a common purpose, uh, but is there to support you and help you. And have you been an ally to somebody during this pandemic more so than anybody else? You know, the pandemic has actually introduced me to a whole new bunch of people that I would have never met otherwise. So I feel like I've formed a lot of alliances. Um, I think alliances comes from ally, right? So I formed a lot of alliances with a whole bunch of unique people and different people than ever before. And I think in life, you, you, you need that, right? And so with common struggle comes commonality between people. So you develop allies based on that. Well, we, we were uh, a result of that, you know, the pandemic, meeting each other and being allies for one one another. So yes, absolutely. If you were to shift the paradigm regarding any of the topics above, what has been your takeaway? What did you believe at first and now may have a second thought on? I would say probably uh, the imposter syndrome conversation. (laughs) I would happen to agree. (laughs) Yeah, um, I think think the word imposter syndrome should probably be changed. I think it kind of drives this notion of it's a much it's it's a much more serious thing than 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 it probably is. You know, you take the word imposter and syndrome; those are two pretty um, you know high level words put together. Yeah. So I think that that phrase should be changed in order to create a different uh, understanding of it. But uh, now that we've talked it out and I kind of look at it differently, I would probably say that that's probably something that you know, if I hear that phrase in the future, I probably won't treat it as seriously as it as as I thought it might have been. You wouldn't treat it as seriously. I mean, I, I wouldn't treat it as, as a serious word type, you know, um, oh. uh, like I like like in the sense that I wouldn't treat it uh, in a way that I thought it might have been in the beginning. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. Very good. And it's probably a lot more common than than I than I even thought. Well, it is. I mean, you know, if you tried out, a, you know, even a recipe, you try something new to cook, create, whatever it is. And, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I could do this. And then all of a sudden it's like, hmm, maybe I don't have all the tools to do this. And, you know, I'm going to struggle through this. So it could be even very as light as that. Or, you know, when people step into a new role, like you have numerous times in your career, like you said, you're given the role, you act in that role, but there's a lot that has to be skilled you have to have those skills to perform at that level. So sometimes that imposter syndrome yeah. could be like a roller coaster. It goes up, it goes down, you know, and there are triggers that we can see in advance or at that time and go, okay, acknowledge that it's there and then just push through or grab a lifeline or get a mentor to help you. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. All right, Ash, well, this has been great. Thank you so much for being my first guest. I really appreciate it. This was very insightful. And I wanted to ask you for the audience, if you can share a little bit about your Business Travel 360 podcast, where can they find out more about you and how you advocate for the travel industry? So uh, Business Travel 360 is a a uh, podcast that you can really find on any podcast um, channel that's out there, whether it's Google or Apple or whatever you're listening to, Spotify. Um, and essentially, the reason why I started that podcast was I always used to get uh, calls from C-level executives asking me to tell them what's the latest and greatest in business travel. So I started that podcast, and that's really what it is. It's what you need to know in 15 minutes or less, um, given to you in a weekly on a weekly basis every Monday morning, uh, where we tell you everything that's important in the world of business travel. And only the highlights and 
and only the information that we think uh, you probably need to know about. So it gets through all the riffraff. Uh, if you read a lot of articles, you won't have to read as many as anymore because I'll tell you everything you need to know. So that's what that podcast is all about. And really, it was a result of the pandemic in some sort of way where people wanted to um, know about what was happening. And so we decided to I decided to start that in a podcast format. So you can look at that. Uh, you can check that out there. And you can also check it out at businesstravel360.com. Your audience has grown on that podcast. I listen to it every Monday. I think it's uh, very informative and it's quick. And I love the, the the kind of a knockoff of 10, 10 wins. You've got 15 minutes or less. So really great job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Give us 15 minutes and we'll give you the world. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, Ash, thanks again for being a guest on the podcast today and all the best to you. And, you know, keep, keep doing what you're doing, being a, a mentor and throwing out lifelines and being an ally for those who um, can learn and, and be supported by you. Yeah, no. And thank you for, for giving me this opportunity and love the fact that I'm your first guest and wishing you all the best and all the luck as well. And uh, if there's anything I can do to support, please let me know. Great. Thanks. Thank you. That brings us to the end of part one of this series. Tune in next week for part two. If you enjoy our show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you for listening to Heart Inspired. Until next time, I'm your host, Michelle Delgado. And don't forget to lean in, be heard, and be inspired. This podcast was created by Heart Metrics Consulting editing and co-produced by David Castle Productions, and co-distributed by Business Travel 360. For more information about Heartmetrics Consulting, visit us at heartmetrics.com.